Welcome to the Hoffmantown Church Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this week's message from Hoffmantown Church. All right, I do want to encourage uh, the missions conference. That's coming up in a couple weeks. I can't believe it. And I really want to challenge you to be a part of this. God is doing so many things in our area, uh, as well as in the midst of what he's calling us to, Jerusalem through uttermost. And um, when we talk about a body engaged, we're talking about a body yielded to the Lord Jesus Christ, individual members of that. Not everybody's going to be called to Africa. Some of you can say amen. That's okay. But at the same time, we're all called to make disciples. We're commanded to, actually. And so that can look different in different people's lives, but there's certain foundational truths to that. We all have a testimony. We've all been called to the ministry of reconciliation. When God puts people in our lives or when he puts somebody on our heart that needs to know him, we have the opportunity to share with him the great news of the gospel of grace. All of us have that privilege. And we all have the opportunity to grow in Christ. We all have the opportunity Uh, to be equipped, which is what we're going to talk about today. How is it that a body of believers grows in Christ? What are leaders to be a part of? How do we feed the flock? How do we make sure the Word of God is exalted and lifted high, that Christ is put in the preeminent position that he deserves? In Matthew, there's a wonderful verse I've shared this with you before, and I just think it's so, so beautiful when you really think about this. The Lord is speaking to his disciples, and in Matthew chapter 23, he says, Do not be called leaders, for one is your leader. That is Christ. That is Christ. Folks, when we talk about a, a church, and we talk about a body of believers, we talk about who it is that we follow. Friend, let me just be honest. You get me in that particular moment, we're in a bad place. You take any one of the elders and or the elders as a group and put them, us, in that particular moment, we're in a bad place. You take your K group leader or any leader in this church body and you put them in that preeminent position that absolutely, completely, and totally is the Lord's. And we're in a bad place. Amen? The Lord is the shepherd. The Lord is the shepherd. And we want to follow him. I love this statement that dad made, and I've used this many, many times, and I think it's so well said. Elders are not the only ones that hear from God. But elders are called to make sure that God is heard. And I think that's essential to understand. We've been walking through the seven pillars and we've walked through true ministry is initiated by God. The Lord is the one who takes the lead. He's the one that steps forward first. And what he initiates, he anoints. He empowers. Talked about anointing as being the empowering ability of God. Ministry's received. It's not achieved. We receive it from him. We don't don't look at the problems and say, oh great, good, we're going to go fix it. We're talking about spiritual issues here that only the Lord himself has the wisdom to know exactly what to do. The Lord's at work all around us. It's not that he's caught off guard by the things that we're faced with. He knows exactly what's taking place. He knows exactly what is needed. The question is, are we willing to follow him and wait on him to reveal not only what he wants to do, but when he wants to do it? 
I have found in my life, and I don't know about you, but the when sometimes is a lot harder because we immediately jump. We even use scripture to say, well, that's why we're doing what we're doing. We're told to do this. But we've got to remember that the Lord already knows. The Lord's already before us. And the question is, are we following him? Are we walking with him? Are we saying yes to him? Are we yielded to him? Are we walking in obedience to him? We receive ministry. We don't achieve it. True ministry is not the result of our efforts, but of his surrender. And that's a picture. He gave us a picture of what it means to to walk with the Father in perfect harmony. So ultimately, it is our surrender, but we get to role model what it is that he showed us, what he gave us a picture of. His whole life was a laying down, a laying down, even to the point of going to the cross to die for each and every one of us. God gets the glory for his ministry. When he is the one that initiates it, when he's the one that anoints it, when we've received it from him, when it is something that really is truly from him, out of him, then he deserves the credit. And when we talk about credit, we're not just talking about, hey, that was great, God, good job. We're talking about the fact that when we are walking with the Lord in his ministry and that God is transforming us from the inside out and revealing himself through us, then the glory, the true identity of who God really is begins to be expressed through our lives to people all around us. Every time we make a decision to say yes to the Lord and walk in his love for others, every time we make a decision to say yes to the Lord and walk in his integrity, his joy, or his, and you can fill in the blank. It glorifies, it brings honor, it helps people begin to understand the true identity of who our Lord really is. The church is an organism, it's not an organization. And we ought to be an organized organism, right? Say that fast 10 times. (laughs) Because the Lord's the one that organizes us. The Lord's the one that organizes us. He gives us the spiritual gifts, and then he raises up the opportunities for us to participate with him in the midst of of the ministry or the service that he calls us to, and then he's the one that takes care of the results. He begins to organize the body because he's the head of it. He's in charge. He's in control. And each and every individual, when they come to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, become believers, God immediately gives at least one spiritual gift to that individual for the purpose of serving the body. And as we say yes to him, as we yield to him, God through us begins to lead us in the midst of what he's called us to participate with him in so that through us, that gifting begins to be expressed and it helps to build up the body of Christ. You have gifts of mercy. You have gifts of teaching. You have gifts of administration. My son found out as he took a spiritual gift survey this uh, week, and, and I, I could have told him this, that he scored absolutely last on the gift of administration. <laughs> but evangelism was high on that list. He loves to share Christ with people, and it's hilarious to watch him get worked up about apologetic stuff. I can't believe they don't believe in God. I can't believe they say this and this and this. It's hilarious. That's Christ in him beginning to express through him the reality of who our Lord is. Well, today we want to talk about the role of church leadership. The role of church leadership is not to do all the work of service, but to equip 
the body, equip the body. Let me just give you a, a few thoughts on this, because I, I don't know about you, you've probably been <laughs> a part of church, uh, perhaps for years, or in the circles that you're within, uh, you've seen different leadership types, styles, right? And so let me preface this, I, I'm just having a little fun with this, because sometimes uh, we can talk about leadership and uh, it, it becomes a little bit uh, difficult, uh, I don't want to be here in order to, in any way, defend myself or, or somehow. We're talking about a position, a role. We're talking about what God has done. Uh, and all of us have flesh. And so as leaders, there's times where we fall into any one of these categories, and, and you can certainly have more uh, than what I've put down. I, I, have you ever been around the leader who's like a lion? Have you ever been around the individual who roars at any criticism? constructive or not. It doesn't really matter. Therefore, they gather, what do they do? They, they begin to gather yes-men around them. They dominate. You got these pictures? You want to throw them up there? Yep, you got them. Right? The lion, the guy at the head of the table that just boom, 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 going to nail this thing. Have anybody been around that? I mean, come on. I've been around that. I've probably done that. Now, don't tell me you haven't. Right? <laughs> What about the chameleon? You're going to have to look closely at this one. Where's the chameleon? Yeah, yeah. They blend in, man. <laughs> You've been around the chameleon who changes depending on what group he's with and ends up playing people against one another. Right? All these are flesh patterns. Or the ostrich hides his head in the sand, and I know that ostriches do not hide their heads in the sand. Okay, I understand that. Those of you who are experts in that particular field, no need to write me an email about it or come up and talk to me about it. I understand this, okay? They hide their head in the sand. They act like there's nothing wrong. They tend not to deal with problems and end up blaming everyone else or the circumstance. Or the cheetah. The cheetah runs faster than anyone but finds himself alone, always frustrated that people aren't going fast enough, doing enough. Right? Way out there. Man, I see the problem. Boom! Off they go. Everybody else is going, what? What happened? I've fallen into that many times. Or the wolf seeks to take people away from the main body for his own. Own motives. Own motives. Wants to gather a group of people for themselves so that they can be the leader. Has a hard time with corporate moments. All these things depict flesh. All these things, at one point or another, leaders are going to struggle with. Because depending on what it is that we're challenged by or what the circumstance may be, what it is that we're looking towards, hey, I could have thrown all kinds of stuff. You, you talk about the snake, right? Pops up out of nowhere and just bites you. What the world? Where did that guy come from, right? Or the buffalo that'll charge anything without even thinking about it. You heard about the buffalo that charged the locomotives when they first came out west? They didn't win. <laughs> they didn't win. They may have derailed a few locomotives, but they didn't win. That's a fact. I mean, we could go on and on about that. What we want to talk about is what the role of leadership is to equip the body, and what does that actually mean? And all within the context that every leader, I don't care what your role is, I don't care what your title is, needs to have a heart, ought to have a heart that recognizes that the Lord himself is in the preeminent 
position. That ultimately, whatever role, title we may have, that the Lord is the one that we follow. It is He that takes the lead. And our role, ultimately, as leadership within the body of Christ is to equip the saints for the work of ministry or service. Turn to Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and following. We're going to look at a few verses here. And as you're turning there, I just want to remind you, you know, in my Bible, chapter 3 comes before chapter 4, which means that chapter 4 is within the context of chapter 3. Did I get that right? Did I get that right? I think I'm right on that, right? But Ephesians chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, kind of put the rest of this letter, tremendous letter to the church, which basically has two divisions. The first division is our identity in Christ. The second division is to walk in a manner worthy of the calling. In other words, because I'm in Christ, I now have the opportunity to walk with him, and I should. I should. But in verse 16 of chapter 3, Paul writes in his prayer that he would grant you, speaking of Christ, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his spirit. Did you catch that? To be strengthened with power, his power, through his spirit, where? In the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now, he's writing to believers. He's not talking about getting saved. Christ already has come to take possession of the heart. The question is, is he comfortable in every room of the heart? What Paul's dealing with here is fellowship. He's dealing with all our emotions. He's dealing with all our dreams. He's dealing with all the things that we want. And he's saying that, I'm praying that Christ would strengthen you in the inner man to the point that he himself would take up residence within your heart that in every room of your heart, in every area of your life, he would absolutely be comfortable. All of that sets the context for what Paul goes on to say. There is no way that leaders will equip the body in the way that Paul is speaking of in chapter 4 if they are walking with selfish motives. There's no way that that'll happen. It takes the Spirit of God in individuals in order to transform and then to reveal through so that individuals are not about themselves but rather about others coming to know even deeper the Lord that they love. When we talk about leadership, we're talking ultimately about fellowship. And we're talking about following the Lord Jesus Christ himself. But it takes Christ in us to accomplish this. Let me give you four different things. Who is the church leadership? What is the primary function of church leadership? How do we do this? Right? Let's get practical. How does that actually take place in terms of equipping? And what does it look like when someone is actually equipped? Folks, I would suggest that we never arrive. It's always a pursuit. One day when we see Jesus face to face, 1 John 3, 1 through 3, we're going to be made uh, exactly like him. And until that moment, we are becoming all the way. 
But there is a point where somebody is mature in Christ to the point where there is a consistency within their life that as they walk with the Lord, they are yielded to Christ. They are walking with the Lord in such a way that the Lord is being revealed in and through them. It's not that perfection has been attained, but there is a consistency in their walk with the Lord. Maturity is not that I never deal with sin any longer. Maturity is how quickly we run to the Lord recognizing that he alone is able to deal with our sin. And when we get to that point, then there ought to be consistency with some, within somebody's life. Well, who is the church leadership? Look at verses 11 through 13 in Ephesians 4. Paul says he gave some, speaking of the Lord, as apostles, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith, and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. And he gives us five different gifts given to the church body. And the context of this, if you go back just a few verses, is in verses 7 through 8. He says, to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. The word gift here is a gift given with goodwill towards the recipients. In this particular text, it's very clear what those gifts are. In verse 11 they are the gifted men that God gives to the body of Christ to help the body of Christ come to the place of unity. Unity. I think it's important when we look at those particular gifts that we recognize that the offices of some of those gifts are no longer in existence. Apostles and the New Testament prophets that foretold what Christ was revealing we no longer need those offices. The apostles, even in Acts and through their writings, ultimately began to call themselves elders. Peter says, I'm a fellow elder. And so the role or the office of an apostle, when the full canon of Scripture came into existence, was no longer needed. It was no longer necessary. Just like the prophets, when the Word of God had not been canonized, fully given, they were necessary because the Spirit of God was using individuals who had the gift of prophecy in order to share forth what the Word of God has to say. Well, now that the Word of God has been given in its completeness, completeness it was no longer needed. That doesn't mean that there aren't individuals who have a gift that is akin to an apostle. We have missionaries. We have people that go out and plant churches where nobody else has been. We have people that go and begin to share the gospel in areas where the gospel has not been heard. Or we have prophets in the sense of those who share forth the word of God. And if you look at Romans, you, you would look at that as a, as a preaching gift. Not just a teaching gift, but a preaching gift. But he also goes on and he talks about evangelists. And then he says some as pastors and some as teachers. Well, we evangelize. We have people that have the gift of evangeliz uh, evangelization. I believe Jonathan has been given that gift. When he was, you know, five, six years old and he had come to know Christ, I, I could take him down to the pool with a bunch of kids. And I would just wait and watch. 
I'd step back and here he goes to go find some friends. And within literally a minute, where do you go to church? Do you know Jesus Christ? Do you attend a place? Do you go to Awana? Do you know what the Bible says about being a Christian? It was incredible. It was amazing to watch. We have evangelists who go out and share Christ. There's something in them, the Spirit of God in them, who begins to compel them to share the gospel. All of us ought to be sharing the gospel. We're talking about a spiritual gift. We're talking about something special for the body of Christ so that the body of Christ is able to look at an individual who is empowered by the Holy Spirit in that gifting and say, oh, that's how this is done. That's how this is done. And then we're encouraged in the midst of it as well. He also goes on and he says, pastors and teachers. And the construction of this has been argued and debated for years. Is he talking about pastors and then he's also talking about teachers? Or is he talking about pastors who are also teachers, though not all teachers are pastors? And I think what he's saying in effect, in a nutshell, after studying through this, that he's talking about pastors who are also teachers. I like the Grace New Testament commentary on this. and says this is actually one gift, pastor-teacher. The person with this gift may be the shepherd and teacher in a local body. The idea of pastor emphasizes the role of feeding and protecting the flock. Honer, in his great book on Ephesians, writes this, he says, in the present context, the term is best translated as pastor who cares for his or her flock as a shepherd cares for his or her sheep. This would include ministering to troubled saints, exhorting and comforting all believers, and administering the activities in the local assembly. The primary role for a pastor teacher is to proclaim the word of God, to feed the sheep with the word of God. Of God, to point to Christ, to administer, to watch over the activity, to make sure that we're following the Lord in the direction that He is leading in, and to make sure that the Word of God is proclaimed so that the people of God are confronted lovingly with the truth of the Word of God so that they may grow in the grace and the knowledge of Christ Himself. They may grow deeper in their walk with the Lord. They may have a better understanding of what it means in their specific life, in the arena of their life to follow God. What does it mean to walk by faith? Now, clearly, we have elders. And you will find that elders are in the plural in the New Testament. You're talking about a group of men. I would suggest to you that there is an individual on that elder board who is called to preach and teach the word of God on a consistent basis to the people of God and becomes, in a sense, the point person for that ministry. We would call that, I believe, the senior pastor. But I would suggest to you this, that in the midst of that, there is no elder who takes preeminence in a value type of circumstance over another elder. We have sought as elders to function in unanimity. We want to make sure the Lord is heard. We want to make sure that God is being followed. And we want to make sure that we're all in agreement about it because we recognize something. Any one of us, any one of us can get off track. Amen. Folks, you can pray for us in that. That's not easy. There are times where it's challenging. 
And I would suggest to you this, with Hoffentown Church, we've only had elders for actually, in effect, a very short amount of time. I want to tell you the former elder group with my father-in-law as, in effect, the lead elder in that, (laughs) they inherited some really difficult issues. And I applaud them and thank God for their service to this church and to this body. Because what they went through, friends, it is written in heaven. You will never know the full story. And I can promise you it has not been easy. It has been a challenge all the way through. In the midst of that, we're still forming. We're having conversations about how should elders be related to uh, committees making sure that we don't take a badge or a title and somehow promote ourselves or our own agendas, but walking in unity in the midst of what it is that we sense the Lord leading in. How do we function with the pastors? How do we make sure that we're encouraging? There's so many different aspects on this. But what's inarguable, inarguable, is that the Word of God needs to be front and center to all that we do. Because it is the word of God that equips the people of God. And God has given gifted men to the body of Christ in order to share forth the word of God. What's the primary function? Well, we just talked about it in effect. But what's it for? For the equipping of the saints. When we begin to proclaim the word of God, it is specifically for the equipping of the saints. The word equip means to literally make someone fully ready. It has the idea of a finished result or taking something that was broken and fixing it and mending it into something that is useful. One of the fascinating ways that this word is used is actually in Matthew chapter 4 verse 21 where it's recorded going on from there he saw, Jesus saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother in the boat with Zebedee their father mending their nets and he called them. That word mending is the word equipping. You get the picture? They had nets that were for a purpose, but had been damaged, and they needed to fix it. They needed to work it out so that they could make sure that the nets were fully functional to do what the nets were created to do. Hence the idea of equipping. We teach the Word of God. We share the Word of God so that in our lives we become useful to the Lord who created us in order to glorify him in the specific way that he has created us to do so, whether it's in the spiritual gifts or the ministries, etc. It's a beautiful picture of how the word of God works in our lives in order to begin to prepare us for that which he desires to utilize us within. The Holman New Testament commentary has a great statement on this. I love this. It's not the task of these gifted people, the men who are called to share the word of God. It's not their primary task, if you want to put it that way, to do all the work of ministry. Their task is to prepare God's people for works of service. When believers are equipped and people accept the adventure of ministering to others, then the whole body is built up, matured, strengthened, and flourishes. Did you catch that? (laughs) The adventure of ministering to others. May I make a suggestion here? That only in the Lord is it looked that way. (laughs) Only in Christ is it looked at as an adventure. 
Only in the Lord do we have the patience necessary. Only by the Spirit of God in us as he transforms us and does a work in us and then through us do we have the right perspective of what it means to engage with one another, to serve one another, to love one another, to minister to one another. Only in Christ is that possible. But that's why the Word of God needs to be proclaimed. Because it is in Christ that we have that wonderful privilege of serving the Lord and then experiencing God and then experiencing Him through us as He leads us and guides us and empowers us through His Spirit in the inner man to begin to serve one another. Well, how do we do this? Well, it's clearly through the Word of God. In 2 Timothy 3.17, the word equipped is used in this context. It's the same root word that's used in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 12. 2 Timothy 3.17, he says, All Scripture is inspired by God. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. The Word of God has to be used in the midst of equipping because, first of all, it's profitable to teach. In other words, it shows a person the track He's to run on. Here's the direction God wants. Here's the life that he wants you to be a part of. But it's also there to reprove. It shows a person when he gets off that track. You're walking along, you're doing well, and all of a sudden you get sideswiped and you find yourself uh, uh, completely off the main road that the Lord has you on. Well, the word of God helps show you that you got off track. The Lord doesn't just leave us there. What else does he do? He corrects us, helps us get back on that track. He shows us the track. He shows us when we get off the track. Then he begins to show us what it means to get back on the track. And lastly, for training in righteousness, what it means to stay on that track. How do I keep yielding to the Lord? I'm tired of those gullies. I don't want to go over that cliff any longer. How do I stay on this, Lord? Yield to me. Walk with me, trust me, obey me, get into my word, have your mind renewed, understand what it means to say yes to me. Speaking to the elders of the Ephesian church, Paul makes this statement in Acts chapter 20, verse 32. He says, now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all who are sanctified. What a beautiful truth. The goal of the truly called pastor-teacher is to see the flock advance in their spiritual growth and to become usable within the church, the body of Christ. To become usable within the body of Christ. How many people are missing out on serving the Lord? And as a result, they've become stagnated in their growth with the Lord because rather than experiencing God and growing in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord and experiencing the power of God in and through their lives, we become comfortable, we sit back, we let other people do things that perhaps the Lord desires for us to participate in. You know, we, we've talked about this, but Christ-led, elder-guarded, pastor-guided, and what's the last one? Body what? engaged, body engaged. What does a healthy body of believers look like? 
Everybody's spinning off doing their own thing. Everybody running over and, uh, one another in order to get what they think ought to get done, accomplished? Absolutely not. A healthy body looks like a group of individuals are willing to say, Lord, we, we just want to follow you, walk with you, and whatever you have for us, we're good with that. And in the midst of it, God is transforming us so that the love of Christ begins to be revealed through us. We begin to serve one another in the way that he has orchestrated and ordained for us to walk with him in. And as a result of that, you begin to see a body that is functional. You see left hands doing what left hands can only do. You see right legs doing what right legs can only do. You see right hands beginning to serve. You see the neck. You see all the different aspects of the body coming together in a way that the body begins to be functional with Christ as the head because that's where he belongs. That's his role. So what does it look like when someone is equipped in Ephesians 4.13, he states this, until we all attain to the unity of the faith. Did you catch that? Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith, the word attain means to arrive at a place. What place? The idea of the faith. The idea of unity, which is in the faith. Unity means to be devoid of any variation or difference. And it's the faith, speaking of doctrine. He's not just talking what, what we come up with. He's talking about what does the Word of God actually say. It's not just what we agree on either. But rather, it is what we agree on and then begin to live what a beautiful picture that is. I've had, oh, over the years, many discussions with people, and they'll, oh, yeah, we agree with this, we agree with this, and we agree with this. Well, what's going on in your life? How, why aren't we living this? See, what we're talking about is the feeding of the flock with the Word of God to the point where God begins to do a work in each and every individual's life to begin to put together the body in the way that He wants to put it together as we learn to walk by faith and yield and surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ and the hands suddenly begin to be recognized and the feet begin to be recognized and all of it is a unity of doctrinal integrity that is not only spoken of, agreed upon, but lived out. We don't just say we agree and then go live a different way. We say we agree so much so wholeheartedly that we say, yes, Lord. And we begin to walk in the power of the Spirit of God who's able to strengthen us in the inner man so that through us he begins to be revealed in the midst of the body, the church, so that God is glorified through the love that is seen from the people of God to one another to those who have no hope in this world. It's a beautiful expression of what really church is all about. I love what my father-in-law said on this. This spoke to me deeply. He said, the accomplishment of a pastor's efforts is to see those under his leadership come to experience Christ by their willingness to live what they say they believe. You know, some of the stories that I love to hear are, oh, I was at work, 
And the word came to my mind in the midst of this circumstance. And I realized the Lord was leading me in the midst of that particular moment. You can fill in the blank. There's all kinds of moments like that. There's all kinds of circumstances like that. But when the people of God begin to take the word of God, begin to realize that God's word is living and active and that God wants to do a work in each and every one of our lives and that we agree on what it is that God's word says, so much so that we begin to actually say yes to the Lord and live it out. That begins to be a beautiful picture. And I want to tell you, me personally, that is one of the most rewarding moments in ministry that any pastor could ever have. When he sees a people, a flock, begin to say yes to the Lord and to begin to walk in doctrinal unity, but also to walk in a way where they live it out. Oh, it's priceless. I see that happening in many of you, and it's a joy to watch. I can tell you that. It's a joy to experience. 1 Timothy 1.5, in closing, Paul writes to Timothy and, you know, the pastoral epistles. And Paul says this to Timothy in his first letter, verse 5 in chapter 1. He says, the goal of our instruction the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Boy, what a beautiful truth that is. Love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Are you growing in Christ in order to serve the Lord? We've walked through seven pillars. This is the seventh. Are we willing as a body to come before the Lord and simply say, Lord, our lives are yours. Hoffmantown is yours. You're the shepherd. You're the chief. You take the lead. And are we willing to follow him in such a way that we're going to participate with him in what it is that he calls us to, whatever that may be, individually as well as corporately? Are we willing to say, Lord, we want to see you glorified. We want to see people who don't know you come to know you because they recognize you working not only in my own life, but through the lives of those at Hoffmantown Church. Thanks for listening to the Hoffmantown Church Podcast. 